Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Srividya Sridharan. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by VP and Principal Analyst Barbara Winters to discuss how younger B2B buyers are reshaping the buying process and what companies should do to succeed with these buyers. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. So Barbara, let's dig into your latest research, right? It reveals some really interesting shifts happening in the pool of B2B buyers. Could you describe what that shift is and why it's so significant? Sure. Um, One of the ways we chose to examine the data out of our B2B buyer journey study this year was to look at differences in generations and the way they behave in buying. And In doing so, the first thing we did was just looked at from our response set how the makeup of all the respondents um, played out across the generations. And it was interesting to see that those buyers that we're calling in our report in here the younger generations, which include Gen Z and millennials, or basically anyone born after 1981, made up well over 50% of our survey this time. 64% of the people who identified themselves as purchase influencers in our study were in that younger age group. Um, So we thought it was important to understand how their behaviors are different than maybe those older generations because all you have to do is look at any census data or generational data and the numbers are continuing to grow this way. These, you know, people who 10 years ago, we talked about how millennials were changing the market and lots of conversations about that. Well, they're here. They're the majority of our buyers now. Um, so we wanted to go look at what some of those differences are. Now, I, I will add that in general, when we talk about, for instance, developing B2B buyer personas, We don't recommend um, doing a whole lot of identification by demographics, right? For instance, we don't recommend that buyer personas say this persona is, you know, an average age of 47 and generally male, or that persona is an average age of 35 and generally female. Demographics like that usually don't matter in B2B marketing, marketing. And they can be dangerous if they're taken too literally. So while you still won't see us, you know, pushing towards that sort of demographic analysis as you go develop personas and the programs that that follow from them, it's important to recognize as a whole that our buying audience is um, is in this younger generation. So as a whole, it's important to recognize how they behave differently not trying to pinpoint any certain age or any certain buyer, but it's the majority of buyers right now. So we should be, we should be treating that as a majority and thinking about how the behaviors are changing. So let's talk about those expectations and preferences of this younger generation. You know, what are those couple of key points uh, that, you know, are truly standing out in terms of their preferences and the impact on the buying process? Yeah, there's a couple that we should talk about today. Um, one is that younger buyers are what we call digital natives. Um, they're much more 
comfortable and more likely to use what we call those digital or self-serving self-service transaction channels. They know how to go out and look for information, find it on their own, and they're they're used to doing that. So when we look at this data, we break it down. One of the ways we break it down is into two general categories of self-guided interactions and personal interactions that buyers take. Self-guided interactions means all those things we just go do and look at and find on our own. We go search the internet, we go look at websites, um, things like that. Where personal interactions are where we have a conversation with someone. It could be virtual, it could be in person, it could be in an event, it could be via a webinar, but you're having an interaction with someone. So before we jump to the conclusion that everything's going digital, our data shows, and it has shown over time, that buyers prefer a pretty even mix of what we call self-guided and personal interactions. So that means that buyers value those conversations they have with people, the things I mentioned before, like events and things like that, where they can interact with people. It's an important part of the buying process. It splits to about 50-50, honestly, when we ask buyers how impactful different types of interactions are. So we went and looked at that first between these younger generations and the older generations, and the split is still pretty much the same. Within a percentage point, it's still close to 50-50. So we can't jump to the conclusion that younger buyers aren't engaging in personal interactions. They certainly are. But what we found when we went and looked at that data is they're engaging in more types of interactions. So the older generation across a buying cycle will generally engage in 15 different types of interactions um, where the younger generation will participate in 17 types. So what that tells us is they're just going more places um, and they're doing more research on their own, but not at the expense of that personal interactions as all as well. So that's one of the, the big things that we saw when we looked at the data this way is that they're just doing more. They're having more conversations and they're also doing a lot more research on their own. So that's a really key point because, you know, as you said, it's not everything's going digital. It's the, it's the volume of the information or the sources of interactions that they're relying on, that the younger buyers are relying on um, to make those decisions. And I think that's, um, that's, a, that's a myth that we you know, have, to, have to continue to bust with that all things going digital. We do, you're right. Are those sources of information different between those two groups? Like are they going to, are the younger generation going to different places um, online to get information? than older generations? They're a little bit different, mainly when we think at the, um, the intensity and the level and the preference of where they go. You'll find a lot of buyers you know, go to a lot of the same places, but you do see that those interactions are different between older buyers and younger buyers in one significant way, is that this younger generation is going to third-party resources first and more often than going directly to the vendor. So I mentioned that when we analyze our interactions, one way we do it is by this self-guided and by personal interactions. The other way we do it is looking at interactions by those that are 
either owned or highly controlled by the vendor versus those that are not controlled by the vendor and maybe sometimes influenced, but they're not direct. They're third-party resources like general information websites, technology websites, um, conversations with industry experts and analysts and things like that. Those are all very important interactions that buyers have as they go through their decision process and they're not all direct with the vendor. So what was interesting, again, as we looked across the generations is that the top three responses for the most impactful sort of places to go for these younger generations were technology information websites, forums, and industry websites. For the older generations, their top three included vendor salespeople in person and also vendor websites. So when you start looking at those interactions and tracking them down to, you know, the, you know, I said there were 17 different types. When you start tracking them down into the top five, 10, 15, you'll certainly see vendor websites are really important to both cohorts. Um, salespeople are both important to both cohorts. But it's interesting to see that the younger generation tends to start more with third party um, sources before they're gonna contact a vendor. And so that's a change worth noting. So this can be very scary for the vendor. I mean, it sounds like uh, they have less influence on um, buying decisions and buyer's decisions. So what should they be doing to win and attract these younger buyers? What should they be doing differently? Yeah, you could say that they have slightly less influence at the, you know, at the end of the day, those buyers are going to go to our vendor controlled resources, our own websites are going to talk to our people, but they're not going to start there. So how do we, how do we become aware of that and make sure we're doing that well? Um, one of the ways to do that is to make sure as part of an overall marketing program that your influencer marketing components are working strong and are strongly aligned to all of your messaging and what you know about your how your buyers go through their journeys and things like that. So, for instance, you know, simple things like if we know they're going to technology information websites, are there opportunities for us to provide syndicated content there? Are we part of the conversations in the forums that they're going to um, or the websites that they're going to? That's one way to think about it, how you're going to place your content outside of your own domain. Um, another way to think about it is making sure um, things like your analyst relations and your press relations uh, programs are working well and delivering the messages that you want to deliver, deliver about your solutions, because that's also a widespread way to get your message out there. So those are a couple of things to consider, especially in those earlier parts of the buying decision process, that discover sort of phase, because they're going to go all over the place for information. So get your information out there wherever you can and make sure it's on message. The other thing that's interesting, though, and so maybe let's not make it so scary, is that even when those buyers, those younger buyers do go to some of these other places, they're frequently seeking that self-guided information from non-controlled sources. What they do Next, when they go to those websites is also important because there's an, there's an added dynamic here. What the buyers tell us they do if they go to an industry website 
or a technology information website. They're going there to decide which vendors to go talk to. And their next steps are either to click through on information or to go perhaps to a vendor's website to get more information. So we might just say it's one step removed, but we're not losing all control. If we manage those, those um, influenced channels as best we can, and then we make sure that when they do show up at our own properties, we understand what they're looking for, we give them the information we need, we really focus on the experience for those buyers, then that's how we can um, work our way best through this shift in what we're seeing in behavior. So Barbara, you mentioned that, you know, the the human interaction side or the personal side, I mean, that's, that's not going away. That's, you know, kind of balanced across these cohorts. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what, what that looks like, especially, you know, in this hybrid world of kind of virtual human interactions, in-person human interactions, what does that look like? Um, and, you know, are there any differences within cohorts as well? You know, there's not a, a whole lot of difference. Um, we do talk about vendor sales in-person and vendor sales virtual. Um, we see a little more preference for vendor sales in-person from the older generations. But when you really start looking at the data and you compare those two, vendor sales in-person and vendor sales in virtual are not, they're not highly convergent, right? They, buyers tend to get value from both of those things. Um, so I think as a whole, we're adjusting well to a virtual environment because we don't see, you know, a, a huge preference for in-person over virtual and buyers tell us that, you know, they're, they're sort of getting the, the same information and mostly the same satisfaction, no matter how they're, they're interacting. Um, and one of the other things to, that was interesting in this study is that we ask buyers why they chose a certain vendor. And we also asked them, in what areas were you most dissatisfied with the vendor that you chose? Because we want to get at those dissatisfaction metrics as well so that we as, as providers can do better to, to improve the experience. And it was interesting in the, looking at the different cohorts, a couple of the, the responses that are available to in, when we ask that question about dissatisfaction are the competence exhibited during the purchase process and the relationship with the sales rep. And younger buyers showed higher dissatisfaction with both those things. Actually, younger buyers showed higher dissatisfaction with the whole process to a pretty significant amount. You know, we, we give them a list of things. What are all the ways that, you know, that you were potentially not satisfied with your winning provider. And, and then there's a, there's a chance to say none of these things, right? So if we extrapolate that out across our buyers, upwards of 80% of our buyer respondents all have something to say <laughs> of how they were dissatisfied with the buying process or with the vendor that they chose. So in the older generations, 71% of those respondents all had something to say about where they were dissatisfied. In the younger generations, 90% of them had something to say. 
So if we reverse that, there were only 10% of them who didn't have any, you know, who were apparently um, satisfied with the, uh, with their vendor. And this is even the winning vendor that they chose. So in a shorter way, people do have frustrations with vendors and with the buying process. Um, and the younger generation has more of them and is more willing to express those, those dissatisfactions. And a couple of ways that they did that was by showing a higher percentage of younger buyers who stated they were, they were dissatisfied with the relationship with their sales rep. So going back to that earlier point about talking how self-guided and sales is still important, sales is really important because sales needs to be a partner to help the buyer through the process. They're there to help the buyer buy make the connections, get them all the information, do what they need to do. And while only 9% of the older buyers said they were dissatisfied with that relationship, 13% of younger buyers said they were dissatisfied with that relationship. So they're more demanding. They still are reliant on that salesperson and they, they feel that's important. The other one was this broader statement of the competence that the vendor exhibited during the purchase process. So if you think about that, think about, you know, any purchase process that you've gone through. When you're dealing with a provider, you want them to know you, you want them to anticipate your needs, and you want them to make the buying process easier for you. So those things kind of roll up into this idea of competence. Am I getting what I need? Is the vendor anticipating where I need to go next and helping me do that? That was another big shift where we saw a lot more of the, the younger cohort listing that as a dissatisfaction. 14% of them said that they weren't satisfied with the competence of that the, the purchaser displayed during the purchase process. So there's a lot of ways to think about this data, where they're going, how they're getting it, but also how they're feeling about this this process. And as providers, we need to think about providing a better experience through that process for our buyers. And so those are a couple of things where we need to make sure we make those connections so that sellers can make the right connections with the buyers. Um, and so that we're carefully planning our buyer journeys so that they're, we're anticipating their needs and we appear to be competent <laughs> at the end of the day when they finally make a when they finally make a purchase. This cohort is hard to please, clearly. They're hard to please and they're not afraid to express their dissatisfaction. That's that's sort of how I, I summarize the data. <laughs> so with some of these changes in the behaviors and what have you, what are the impacts to vendors' routes to market? Barbara, it feels like this could have a palpable change moving forward. It certainly can, and it's a change that we're already seeing and we do track in this data. So we do ask our buyer respondents what their primary method is for how they transact their purchase. And most of them still contract with an enterprise rep. These are the most of the, the B2B buying cycles that we're looking at are you know fairly mid to large enterprise type transactions. So a lot of them still transact that way. Um, but we are starting to pick up that more buyers are transacting through the provider's website. Um, 
they're also starting to transact through either app stores or marketplaces. And again, when we interrogated this data by generation, we found that the younger co cohort was more likely to transact through the vendor's website versus through a traditional sort of PO process or something like that. They were more likely to transact through an app store or a marketplace as well. So while those numbers haven't hit majority levels yet, they're rising and they're rising faster with younger buyers. So we're actually predicting that over time, about a third of purchases in the, in the next two years or so, more than a third of um, those millennial and Gen Z buyers will be purchasing through these self-guided purchase digital channels as well. So Barbara, I know the focus of this data and you know analysis has been you know in the early stages of the customer lifecycle, right? The discover, the evaluate, the commit stages. How do you think this might play out um, in in some of the later stages um, of the lifecycle? Well, I think we can assume it's going to be a lot the same um, as as we talked about in the report. You know, we're dealing with what we call you know sort of this this tech native. Um, generation of buyers. So these behaviors that are, are learned apply to all the ways that you work and all the ways that you interact with, with people both inside and outside of your company. So if we are seeing a higher reliance on digital channels, uh, let's think about that for, for maybe even purchasing. As those buyers move forward in their relationship with the vendor once they move into, you know, these, these customer lifecycle phases that we call initiate, participate, actualize, they're, um, they're going to be looking for those same sort of conduits, right? Can they, can they ask their questions? Can they get their support? Can they make tweaks to their program or solution? Can they do all that online? That's going to be the expectation, especially if, if they purchased online. So, um, so I think we would see the same, sort of changes. I think they're still going to want that personal interaction because we still want that. Um, so that I don't think that will go away anytime soon. But for convenience and for quick lookup, you know, think about before you reach out to a customer service rep, can you just go online and find the information you need on your own? I think that will continue to be sort of the first response. So making sure that we're supporting that and hopefully using those self-guided or those di digital interactions to drive them to a more personal interaction because those are the those are the relationships that last when you can when you have a personal interaction with your um, either your buyers or when they become customers as they become repeat customers and opportunities for upsell and cross-sell the relationship is still really important but understand that they're going to go somewhere else first to look for the information. So make it easy for it, for it to, for them to find it and make it easy for them to reach out when they do want to talk to someone and create as smooth of an experience as you can. So, you know, as an example, if someone has reached out through a chat function, maybe, and didn't get the answer they wanted, when that's passed off, make sure whoever's talking to them has all that information. So they don't have to repeat themselves. 
you know, this is, these are the great things we can do with all the marketing technologies that we have today is we can think about how to apply those to what we see in this buyer behavior and really try to improve the experience for the buyer by understanding the, all their contacts, context, excuse me, their context, where they're coming from, what they've just done, what they might need next. So those are the ways that, uh, that vendors and providers should really be thinking about that because these younger generations are going to be much more demanding when it comes to that idea of feeling like, you know, I feel like you've, I'm known you've, you've seen what I've already done on your digital channels. Don't make me repeat that. Use that information to make it a better experience. And that goes through the whole customer life cycle beyond just buying through, um, maintaining your customer relationships and hopefully expanding them as well. So let's set the stage. We're 10 years in the future. What does B2B buying look like? So I still think that B2B buying will have personal connections. I still think that is important. I think it will be more and more facilitated by self-guided interactions and digital channels. So when we think about designing the future for our buyers, we need to be designing a hybrid environment so they can move easily between channels. And we need to really be going deeper to understand not only how our buyers behave through their process from the first stages when they start looking for information all the way through, but also how they feel about that experience. Um, we're also working in our, our group right now on a new um, area of research that we're calling buyer experience. So really thinking about almost taking that, that traditional CX lens that's applied most often post-purchase in B2B, um, but applying that to the, the pre-purchase phases. What does it feel like and look like for a buyer to go through these purchase channels. And I think we have a lot of work to do as B2B providers to think about the buyer's point of view and look at it through that lens. Um, because our, our buying um, audience is getting younger. And as we talked about, they're more demanding and they have higher expectations of how this whole hybrid digital to personal ecosystem should work because we live in it all day long. So, you know, how do I think B2B buying is gonna look in 10 years? I think it will look different. I think there will be, one of the biggest differences will be routes to market. I think people will be buying things um, differently, either through websites or through things like markets and partners and app stores. Um, and I think they're just gonna expect this process for them to be seamless. They're going to go out and look for their own information and they will still call for personal support, both internally and externally from when I say internally, I mean, from our vendor, our vendor supplied sales reps, and also externally through those third party resources. They're going to continue to go through all those sources because that's, you know, that's just how buyers have evolved. They know that they can go get information everywhere. Um, so they're going to continue to do that, but they're going to look for it to be a more connected experience. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Barbara. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. If you like what you heard today, check out our agenda for Forrester's B2B Summit North America, which includes over 100 analyst-led sessions filled with insights to drive B2B marketing, sales, and product success. Learn more at forcom slash summit23. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash summit23. Thanks for listening.